0: Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly. So if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode and we'll see you there.
1: I had a, it was funny, I ran to Bill Burr at the airport probably 11 years ago. And we sat down and we were talking about the same thing we're talking about right now, like. Uh, you know, frustration with the business and blah, blah. Bill goes, you know what? I'm just going to be so fucking funny. They can't deny me. He said, because the only thing he can really control is how funny you are. Because mm. I'm just going to be so funny. They can't deny me. I was, I was like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense.
0: Hot Breath. How we doing out there, hot brethren and sisterin. This is Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I am your host, comedian Joel Byers, so excited to bring an interview with you today with one of my favorite comics. Our whole mission here at Hot Breath is to cultivate the next generation of great comics, and this guy today has created his own path, created his own success, built his own audience, and that's what our mission is with comics that listen to this show, creating their own success, and this is going to be a blueprint on how you can all do that. And if you're fans of today's guest, this is going to be so behind the scenes of just how he has gotten to where he has. Which is our whole goal with Hot Breath, giving you the best interviews about comedy with the best comics in the industry. We have now done over 300 interviews with comedians. So if you're a comedy fan or a comic, this is your new favorite comedy podcast. Welcome to the Hot Breathiverse. I'm excited to have you here. This Q&A actually took place in our Facebook group. So if you'd like to hear your questions answered on future Q&As, go into the show notes, click join our Facebook group, and we'll see you there. But now we will see you after the interview, because it is time, as there is only one thing left to do, and that is inhale a hot breath with Gary... Owen, I gotta just jump right in here with you, Gary, because like I, I've started comedy here in Atlanta uh, a little over ten years ago. I've been known as White Boy Joel. Like I've done the biker bars with Bo P. I've done the shady strip clubs with T Ray. Like I never got booed at a gay talent show, like you have. But like I've like I've always just performed wherever I could get up. And especially early in my career, it was always just like the urban rooms. And one of my favorite pieces of feedback I ever got was from Rodney Perry, who I know you've worked with a lot. And um, I mean, he just told me, Joel Byers, you don't pander. He's like, you just you just tell your story. You don't pander to the audience. And that's that's something I noticed in watching you is like there's just an authenticity to your comedy that I think is what translates through to like the audience and people think you have to kind of dance in front of a black audience. But what I've learned at least is that as long as you're real and true, then anything flies. Have you, what's been your experience as the the guru, the sensei here? Like what do you, what do you find the crowds are like?
1: Well, I think in for novices and guys, especially white comics starting out, uh, back when I started, we were going off Def jam and showtime at the Apollo and so if you've never been to a, a, a comedy show with a lot of black people, it gives you the impression it's going to be rowdy as shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Whereas, you know, I, I think black people just they don't have any skeletons in the closet. It's just like, tell us your life and we'll let you know if we like it or not. Mm-hmm. And there's no, there's no like, I've, I've never seen a black crowd get offended. Mm. That's the thing. Like the the, it seems like we're in this cancel culture. You know, listen, you ain't ever seen an uh, urban audience, a black audience get mad because you said a a, um, a certain word outside of the n-word as a white dude. Right, that you can't say. Mm-hmm. But as far as like talking about a special needs cousin or an overweight, uh, you know, relative or a feminine person. Black audiences, they don't care because they're like, yeah, I know that person. That's real life. I think more so with white audiences, uh, you know, we're in a, I've never seen it like in my career where comedians are having to apologize for jokes or something we said. You know, a lot of times they're sneaking these cell phones into shows and we're working a bit out and all of a sudden it's on the Internet. and You're like, dude, I was, I was working something out there.
0: That must you know? be so bizarre for like you doing comedy over 20 years to see the evolution of comedy become like where comedians are almost afraid to like take a risk now or say something for fear of blowback.
1: Well, I, I don't think it's like that in the clubs. Hmm. Um, I think live comedy is still, it's fine. People go there to hear the uncomfortable. and But it's when somebody takes their phone out and puts it on the internet. But as far as like... Uh, just going to a live show, it's rare you see somebody get up and get upset, rare. And I've never, I've never, I've never seen a black person get up and leave because they were offended by a joke. I've seen black people get kicked out because they were heckling. (laughs) But I've never seen a black person get, if you go on the internet and Google like people walking out of comedy shows, you don't ever see a black couple or a black person just walking out. Yeah, the black people they'll heckle, but they're not gonna walk out. You know,
0: I had a I had a I did a, a club in Jacksonville, Florida, and like the only white couple in there was the white lady walked out complaining I was racist against white people. So that just
1: shows, <laughs> makes no sense.
0: Yeah it it did it, it didn't at all. Especially like yeah I'm. I'm just like blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, we're like the, the too white to fail white, but yet we can still translate.
1: But that's her, that would be her own insecurities.
0: Yeah. You yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's
1: her. Talking. It's not you.
0: Yeah. What is, what has been your experience with, um, like white rooms? Cause in researching, you have heard, you know, the early stories, you getting like a band from the comedy store, your first time there, and I know like yeah. Netflix has said no to you and Comedy Central. Like, is there maybe this is more of the question because acceptance is something I've had to really struggle with. And even if it's why didn't that cool open mic book me all the way to you know why didn't I get this opportunity why him not me type deal? How have you been able to kind of like are you have you conquered that or is that something you still struggle with? Is that acceptance?
1: I mean, I mean, I think everybody wants to the, the, – there's still nothing like having a comedy special getting released on a network, whether it's Netflix, HBO, Showtime, Comedy Central. It's, it's still a good feeling. It's a sense of accomplishment. But we're also in a day and age where you can put your own stuff out on YouTube. And young comics, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm learning this. Even though I'm in 20 years in, I'm, I'm starting to treat YouTube like a, a TV network. It's like your own TV network, and you have complete control over it uh i had a it was funny i ran to bill burr at the airport probably 11 years ago and we sat down and we were talking about the same thing we're talking about right now like uh you know frustration with the business and blah blah bill goes you know what i'm just gonna be so fucking funny they can't deny me. he said because the only thing he can really control is how funny you are he goes, i'm mm. just gonna be so funny they can't deny me and i was i was like yeah it makes a lot of sense
0: Yeah, and that that is something, like we're talking about, comedians can do it themselves now, and you self-produced three specials, Showtime picked up your newest one, but you were always like that DIY approach, but that hustle of getting funny first, like you driving four hours for five minutes and sleeping in your car, and that's like the grind part that I feel like comedians see, oh, I can just do it myself, but you have to get funny first. (laughs) You know, yeah. like one, one before the other type deal.
1: Well, we're in a, you know, it's a different grind nowadays. Like I, I had um, I had Desi Banks on my podcast. Yeah, I've
0: had him on here. Yeah, yeah.
1: And we were talking about it and I said, you know, the grind's different now. Now the grind is, you know, get up, get your phone out and let's get with your friends and come up with a sketch, which is a grind in itself. You can yeah. just sit around watch TV. You know what I mean? And then to edit it and put it out there. And you know, you're seeing a lot of these young guys with quality, like program. It looks like a, it looks like they had a, a four camera shoot, and they're mm-hmm. on their phone editing it. So I mean, the, the grind is just a little different. It's still it's still a grind, but it's just it's it's changing, and we have to change with it. You know, back in back in when I started, we were at the mercy of networks and TV execs. We couldn't just get our material out there. It just wasn't possible. There wasn't any outlets. Nowadays, you're not you're not at the mercy. I mean, look at, look at Andrew Schultz. I said, I, I text him all the time. And I go, dude, you like, you really inspire me by what you're doing. I said, and it's a matter of time for the networks to come after him. And they're either going to have to pay top dollar to get him Cause he's, he's like, he built his own studio. Yeah. He's got his own little talk show now.
0: I know it's incredible. So what, what are you doing? I know you have your podcast. Uh, what else are you self producing or what are opportunities are you seeing you're trying to take advantage of and that comics in general can start to take advantage of?
1: Well, I mean, right off the bat, get as much stuff out on YouTube as you can mm. and see what sticks to the wall. Because, you know, YouTube is they're paying now. They got you can get monetized. You get a thousand subscribers and however many views. You can start I mean, I'll be honest with you, that's why I did those lockdown videos during the, the pandemic. I got on every day and just did a four or five minute rant about something, because one, it kept me sane, kept my brain like working. But two, YouTube. I was monetized, so it's it's money, it's revenue coming in when we're not on the road, you know.
0: Hmm. Are there are there any other ways we can monetize our comedy?
1: I mean, get if you get a something catchy, I guess you could do an online store. Hmm. His t-shirts we got masks now i mean i talked to duval he he got that t-shirt out there um what do he say uh we're in this together but stay the fuck away from me <laughs> is what his t-shirt said uh he said he was making i don't want to put his money out there but he was, right. he was making a decent amount of money off, off just that t-shirt and that wasn't on a comedy special he just like put it out there on the internet and people gravitated to it you know so there i mean there's there's ways there's outlets
0: you seem strategic with your marketing as well of, um, well, your podcast, hashtag get some. You're special, hashtag doing what I do. So then people go follow you and see what's true and what's not. Like, you seem to be mindful. Even doing stuff like the Takashi 6 9 thing on Breakfast Club, you seem to always be looking for a way to stay in the zeitgeist in a sense. Is that part of the strategy?
1: Well, yeah. The Takashi the, the was random because... I I knew him, but I wasn't super familiar. And then he went on The Breakfast Club on Thursday or Friday is when he aired. Because they they air it the day after you record. I was coming on The Breakfast Club Monday. I was recording Monday, so it was going to air Tuesday. And I literally called my uh, manager. I said, hey, look at this Takashi Six guy and I on The Breakfast Club. She didn't know who he was. I said, he just said he's going to be the highest viewed interview they're going to have. I go, and it's happening before our eyes. Like, he's getting millions and millions. I go, can we get a tattoo artist or a makeup girl and make me up? I said, and I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to go in as him. It was just timing. He went on three, four days before I did. Mm -hmm. And I just went, okay. So they found this makeup girl in New York that works in film and TV. And she really, she got on the phone with me. We talked all weekend. I got to New York Sunday. She came to my hotel at five in the morning on Monday morning, did all the makeup, and then that was getting picked up at eight. So we got done about 7.45. So it was about two hours and 45 minutes with all the tats and the hair. And then when I went in, nobody knew, like Charlemagne, Envy, Angela, they didn't know I was coming in like that. So they, they started playing along. God bless them. Mm-hmm. And we just did the interview like him, and then I come back. That was all just, oh, shit, I'm coming three days later, four yeah. days later. So that wasn't really a strategic plan. That was just like almost spur the moment, and we made it happen. And then um, as far as the hashtags, um, that was a joke in my act. Right. Hashtag doing what I do. I said, because we see it came from Bow Wow. When Bow yeah. Wow did, and I saw that. It said, ha- then everybody got the hashtag Bow Wow challenge going. And everybody was doing fake stuff. So then I start doing shit on the internet, and I, and I was saying, like, yeah, it's doing what I do. It started out as a little joke on the internet. Like, yeah, you know me, I'm doing what I do. And I have bottles, or I'd be at some mansion or something lying. And then that's why I said, if you see the hashtag doing what I do, I'm lying. And I was like, I'm just going to make that the title of my special. Because I hadn't really seen a special with a hashtag. So I was like, I'll just do it like that.
0: Yeah, that's why I was looking at like, yeah, the marketing side of it to where it is like on one, it's a it's a unique title for a special. But on two, it's going to make them want to go on social media and follow you. And it keeps you top of mind more than just watching the special. Now they're following you on social media looking for what you talked about type deal.
1: Yeah, like I just did a post two, two three days ago where I said I'm the new host of and Out.
0: I saw that. Yeah.
1: What <laughs> hashtag doing what I do And I was like Let me know who saw my special And who didn't Right Because I can't believe How dumb people are
0: <laughs> what, what do you think about The Nick Cannon thing You saw him since like first Like you were with him When he was 17 First open mic ever Like you've seen yeah. him Since the beginning What's your opinion On what's happening now
1: I don't know I'm really At first I thought He's fine But I guess He, he made a post late last night Of a friend of his Committed suicide Hmm and Nick said, "You know, as I'm sitting here contemplating my own like demise, this happens, and so now I am a little concerned about his mental health uh, and where he's at. I, I really don't know. I mean, I don't know. I hope he's alright. It just it just goes to show you, man. This this entertainment business, you can have a lot of money, a lot of girls, a lot of guys, whatever you're into. Um, but sometimes it's still your your happiness." Doesn't come from that. It's you know we're we're listen we're comedians entertainers we're we're a bunch for those that aren't. I mean we're we're not always on. <laughs> <laughs> we're an odd group. Yep. Because you know you look at like Robin Williams. Yeah. I mean who would thought that guy would commit suicide? And Richard Jenny, who would have thought that guy committed suicide? I'm just like, you, you just never know what people are going through. Never know.
0: It, what are what are some of the struggles that you have to overcome?
1: Um, I don't know. Like sometimes like I hate comparing myself to other comics or I'll see a comic selling more tickets to me and I'm like, Oh, wow. <laughs> but I, I, I've learned to like take a step back. I don't, for one, I don't run to social media if I have an issue with something or I'm going through something, I go, okay, is it worth it to really post this? Cause I've realized a lot of things are in your own head. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, When we were shooting the first Think Like a Man, uh, you know, kevs he's the top dog, stand-ups, right? So he invited invited all the guys out to come see him at the Laugh Factory, Jerry, Romney, Ely, and Terrence. But I didn't get invited. So we go to set Monday, and everybody's talking about last night at the Laugh Factory, and I'm going, what? And they all got pictures on, like, Twitter and stuff, and I'm like, I didn't. And then somebody said, Gary, why didn't you go? I go, I didn't know anything about it. And then Kev literally just goes, do you ever feel like an asshole sometimes? (laughs) 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 But I I think it was just, I'm I'm a comedian and he just assumed I would know about it or I just hang out at comedy clubs. It wasn't personal. But in the moment I found out, I was like, dang, what's wrong with me? You know what I mean? Here I am a grown man worried about what some other dude is talking about and feeling left out when I really shouldn't have it really wasn't a big deal it was just one of those things probably out of sight out of mind ah yeah I probably should invite you but it, but it was a lot of it was in my brain too
0: yeah that's I think that's good for comics to hear though that even someone at your level even has to deal with all right, stop comparing myself to someone else. Or like, well, this isn't some conspiracy to hold me down. This was just circumstance. Like, even someone at your level still has to remind themselves of those realities.
1: And I I would tell comics, too, like, don't rush to social media if you feel like you have somebody's having an issue with you or you have an issue with them. Mm -hmm. I know because I've said it numerous times in the past, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors with these studios and networks. And your name can be getting tossed around and then you say something about somebody attached to that film and all of a sudden you're not in the running anymore. It's like, man, I've seen it happen a few times. I'm not going to say names, but Mm -hmm. I've seen people like, we were about to hire this person. And we're like, don't want to deal with that.
0: Dang. But even like you for Think Like a Man, didn't they cut you out of the movie poster? Weren't you like... They kind of that was not was, they kind of <laughs> they kind of they kind of you out of a few things. Is that?
1: <laughs> no, that was funny. It's almost funny. It's funny now um, because my manager was really upset, and I was, I never even saw the poster. Really, she goes, "You're not gonna believe this,", this, this. and I was like, "What?" And then, uh, and so Will Packer, the producer, called me and said, "I heard you're upset." I go, "I, I don't I haven't even seen it," <laughs> and then he goes, "Oh." He said, Well, let me tell you the the process we were doing. We wanted all couples. And then, of course, Kevin, we never really met your wife in the first one. So I, I wasn't tripping. Yeah. I, I really I re- It's almost like a joke now. Every time somebody posts it, I'll splice myself in or I'll act like it's <laughs> But in the end, you're in the movie. You know, nobody really remembers the post. you're in the movie.
0: Right. You know? Yeah.
1: But, and, and then, uh, honestly, uh, my part was probably the smallest of all the the guy characters, the the core six, because you never got to see my relationship until the second one. Mm-hmm. So I I literally I was watching the movie and I think I I don't know why I timed it one time I literally disappeared for 38 minutes of the film. Like,
0: <laughs> you timed it. I don't
1: know. I'm bored. I get bored. I go okay. I haven't been on a while, and I was like, you know, on my DDR and I saw my DVR, and there was like a 38 minute pocket there. I wasn't it. <laughs> hilarious get bored man
0: that's, that's hilarious I, i've got to ask uh before we jump into some of the viewer questions like getting getting i mean you've worked with everyone first off um and that was my favorite i loved you did a, a podcast with theo vaughn and he like asked if you worked with cat williams and you're like dude trust i've worked with every oh black comment. you were just like and, what and that
1: that lets me know there's a huge divide between mainstream and black comedy. It's so because wild. Because watch, I watch Rogan's podcast also. And he had no idea that Kevin, Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, and Eddie Murphy had dinner like two years ago. And they posted on social media. And everybody's like, wow, that's an iconic dinner to get everybody together. And for some reason, Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union was there.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, Joe had no clue. And sometimes he'll have like black comics on his podcast and or like when I was with Theo, um it's like they really are not in that world, you know, at all. And I am like, how did they? And I'll be watching like, how did they not know that? Like when Theo asked me, have you ever met Cat Williams? I go, we open mics. I know when he was cat in the hat was one two. <laughs> and he had that, the furry tango and he had the biggie joke. He ended his show with the biggie joke. And I'm like, do I know him? Yeah. We're it, from, from town. We're both
0: from Cincinnati? I I would just I would take him back. What yeah, what what is that divide? Because I mean I've noticed it too. I mean, coming up in primarily the urban side of comedy, and I can I can perform on both sides and like if a joke works on one side, not the others, I kill it. Like I want to make the comedy universal, but I have noticed, I mean, it's like comedy and church are the two places that are still like super segregated like that.
1: I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I always tell comedians, like, you don't choose your audience, they choose you. Mm. You don't choose them. You just go where people, you know. And I also think a lot of times uh, white comics are, they're in, a little intimidated by an all black room. So they're like, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to do that. But like you said, if you're yourself and you're authentic, yep. I saw Sebastian Menachowski rip Fat Tuesday one night, <sighs> rip. And it was just Sebastian, mm-hmm. and that's this is probably, I bet you fourteen years ago. And when I saw it, I go, "Oh, that guy's good." He just went, and it, there was a time where Fat Tuesday was the Tuesday night spot, in, um, in LA, it was at the Comedy Store. That's where all the Urban X expo- That's where all the Lakers hung out. You'd see, you see all the rappers, all the athletes there. That was the spot, right? All the hoes was there, obviously. <laughs> So we always beat that out.
0: Uh, we'll keep it you know, hundred. Yeah, the yeah, balls yeah.
1: Come, the ball players come. So, <laughs> I don't know who's comes first, but of course,
0: all the chicken fun. heads wobbled in there. Yeah,
1: you know I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of girls working really hard not to work. I'll put it that way. Um, so uh, there was a time though where they were really starting to like bring in the iconic like white axe to do fat Tuesday every now and then. Like I saw dice clay go up there. Uh, then dice was nervous. That's the first time I've seen him nervous.
0: What He went
1: in front of that urban room and he killed it. He went back to the old hickory dickory jokes and shit like that. And I, I was, I was watching going, Oh, he's a little nervous. You know what I mean? This isn't his audience. Mm-hmm. Like they announced him, and it was like this, but it wasn't like what he's used to. Yeah. You know, but it, listen, he did fine. It goes both ways. Um, Judd Apatow saw me in Nashville and in front of my fans, my audience, and I killed. And then he did it, he does this charity thing at the Largo on La Cienega all the time. Any charity comes up, he does these big events, but he brings in like Sandler and just, you know, David Spade. And he'll bring in Beck or like Eddie I'll come jam out. He does these crazy shit at the Largo, but it's all for charity. So he, he asked me to go up one night. And it was not my audience. Uh-huh. It was the empty, white California and I had to go last after Sandler. <gasps> and I go, What? <laughs> so I got there and it was I got a picture of my Instagram. It was Norm McDonald. Um what's the what's the guy that God damn it? He's uh I don't know what his ethnicity is, Indian or something. He just did uh the movie on Netflix with Issa Rae. Kumail. Kamel. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I brain farted. No, you're good. I was on the show. Uh, Adam Sandler, Judd hosted a couple, uh, one other guy. And I thought I'm first when I got there. And Joe was like, no, you're going to close it out. I go, what? And then Adam goes, I'm dude, I'm just, I'm just fucking around. just going to do a couple goofy songs and shit, dude. (laughs) It was like watching the, the crowd reaction was like watching Jordan and the Bulls play. And then right after that, a JV high school team came out. Right? <laughs> like they went ballistic when Adam got announced, right? And of course they were with him for his goofy songs. And I came out there and it was it was great because I, I got him. It just took about 10 minutes, but then I, I brought him like into my world.
0: Right.
1: But it wasn't like the same reaction as an urban audience but it still was fine and everything was cool in the end but i was just thinking man if that would have been 15 years ago i would have freaked out yeah but now i'm like okay the first 10 just chalk it up to the game because they're coming off the sandler high and i gotta bring them down and then kind of bring them into my world and stuff so that's so important
0: for like comics to yeah a lot of times if you're following someone that kills especially like just use an example from the urban world if you follow a comic that does a bunch of music cues and closes with some big audience interactive dance and then you got to go up there you know you got to (laughs) remember
1: you can tell you've been in Atlanta (laughs) that's an it's like when I think and like open mic and coming up yeah i think in my what i've seen chicago has the strongest as far as just comedy and jokes like a lot of guys you haven't heard of like well it's really good atlanta i think music bits i think if you're on the show in atlanta at a comedy club who's ever gone before if you got two of your guys going before you somebody's doing some music bits <laughs> trust me I, but here's what i do I don't come out. I say, if you try to close with a music bit, and I've learned this over time, and then try to bring me right up, I'll wait a minute, two minutes. I'll just sit in the green room, and they'll walk in. There, hey, you're up. Like, I got now. I'll be up in a minute. <laughs> I'm gonna let that audience breathe.
0: Yeah, you know what I mean. That's yeah, that's that's smart. Yeah, it's letting the audience, like you said, following Sandler, and then letting the audience pick up on your pace. I think a lot of younger comics try to match the pace of the comic before no. them but yeah
1: and acknowledge it acknowledge the i acknowledge like sandler i go boy i know you guys are thought hoopy. I, I said something like i bet you thought like jim carrey was next because this shit kept going up and up i go nope <laughs> and i said I, I, I even said i'm really famous with black people and we only have two mixed people here tonight and there was like two mixed girls in the audience i go fine i got one fan here
0: Hilarious!
1: but Hilarious. you just gotta you gotta acknowledge what's going on around you you know that but that comes with with time don't yeah. try to just go with like oh this is my best joke i'm gonna hit it but i think you're right we try to match the energy instead of like letting the audience take a breath take a breath
0: yeah i love it all right. Yeah. And I think that that kind of ties into our first question. Um, oh, and uh, Mitt Wolf is from Chicago and he said, yay, yay, Chi Town. So. Yeah.
1: Okay. Thanks, man.
0: Word. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, Bobby J said, all this goat talk right now got my head spinning. Cool. Goat. Yeah. Goat talk. Well, you worked with a sheep back in the Dizay, didn't you? Who? Didn't you work with sheep? You had a summer job where you were working on sheep oh, or yeah, something? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the lam- lambs. Lambs. Oh,
1: okay. The lamb co-op. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it was sheep. Was it sheep co-op or lamb co-op? It was, uh, I was in an FFA in high school, Future Farmers of America, Uh huh. and I worked at a strawberry farm my summer going into my sophomore year of high school, so after my freshman, sophomore. But I also, there's anybody that was in FFA that didn't live on a farm, they had a okay sorry about that somebody's calling they had a sheep co-op um, yeah it was a sheep one lamb you were right Oh, oh sheep. nice
0: yeah. alright
1: right. and I was so mad because I raised six of those sheep that summer while I was picking strawberries so I'm the one that was feeding them bathing them I, I sheared them I sheared them so it wasn't it like it was a sheep because goats don't get sheared uh-huh. so the sheep they uh, I sheared the sheep and then we go to the fair and the other five kids that didn't have sheep, they all just we guys drew numbers out of a hat. Dude, I picked like mo, my number was the most malnourished sheep. And when you're showing sheep, like you, okay, the sheep's here, and the it, the the, uh, the judge is doing, he does this type of shit, and you go, you can't ever be on the side of the judge. So when he's there, he's always got to get a good look at the sheep. Can't be blocking the sheep, and. I remember just thinking, God, he's, he's, he's like frowning at my sheep, man. <laughs> and then one, one of the sheep got like fifth place in the county fair, and I was so pissed because like I raised that sheep. I go, that chick had nothing to do with that fucking sheep. That was my sheep. <laughs> I wanted that fifth, fifth place ribbon, man. She didn't shit.
0: I love, I love how personal you still take it. You're like, man, that was it. That was my big break.
1: <laughs> that was my sheep, man. I was looking at her like this.
0: Ooh. <laughs> so, in, um, in bringing in some of the young comics uh, watching here, I think this is a good one to start with here. Um, this is from Amanda O. Asking, how did you find and refine your comedic voice?
1: I mean, you kind of... Every comic's different. It just has to be organic. You just... The more you get on stage, the more you find your voice, the more mm-hmm. you find your cadence, your delivery... What's working for you? Uh, It's just, it's almost like if you ask a comic, how how did you make it? Or quote unquote make it? Or where was your big break? Every comic's going to give you a different story. It's just, stage time is the key to all this. That's why I say don't go, don't take comedy classes. When people like take them long five week comedy classes, I'm like this. The only way you get better is to get on stage. Yep. That's the only way you know
0: mm-hmm. that's it yeah. you can take a
1: class like how do i structure a joke or write a joke but in the end it's just stage time everybody's different
0: yeah i think it can help with like learning techniques and taking off the learning curve of actually learning how to write funny stuff but you've got to take it to the stage you, you won't be funny in the mirror you've got to learn the language on stage
1: that's it it's the only way you get better
0: Yeah. Um, all, well, what, was there a breakthrough where you were like, oh, I think I'm starting to find my voice? Was there something where it started to become a little more relevant to you?
1: Right off the bat, I knew I was the best. I'm just kidding. Facts. <laughs> Facts. I mean, as soon as I said, hello, what's yeah. up, San Diego, I
0: knew it was out. <laughs> well, that um, not the first, the first time it didn't go that well. <laughs>
1: it could have. The comics would shut up. For <laughs> um, I don't. It was there ever a time? You know, it, it really was. It was. Uh, so I bombed the fir- first time in San Diego at the La Jolla Comedy Store, and then I, you know, I couldn't go up anywhere. I was like, "Where are these? Where can I go up?" And some some black guys I was stationed in the Navy with was telling me about all these urban spots I could hit up or go and do stand up. But I do remember. I I went up that first time in La Jolla and it didn't go well. And then the next time I went up was at a uh, karaoke bar called El Torito Mm. in San Diego. And they did stand up on like Tuesday or Wednesday night. I I mean, I'm sorry. They did karaoke on Tuesday or Wednesday night, but it was an urban urban, uh, karaoke night. So I convinced the guy that ran it, like, I'm a legit stand up. Like, this is what I do. And he was like, all right, well, if you want to come up, man, I'll, I'll give you a slot. We'll just tell people you're not singing. And I did a lot of the jokes I did in La Jolla and they worked. And I went, oh, OK, I got something here. But I think that was the moment I was like, and I probably did four minutes tops. Mm-hmm. But every every joke hit. And I was like, oh, OK. But I remember there's that moment. At El Torito, I go, okay, I got something here. I got
0: something. What, what is like your worst bomb, like worst boo story? Like what is the one you'll just never forget? I know. I I remember hearing one about you bombing at new faces, but like, there's gotta be a deep one in there of like out on the grind of the road or something.
1: New faces hurt a lot because uh, there was the Montreal comedy festival. As far as like, I felt like it was a missed opportunity was new faces Mm -hmm. in Montreal. Um, Because I didn't listen to my gut on that one. Because I had been doing, I've been doing like the same five minutes for a couple months. And I was like, okay, I got the five minutes that's quote unquote gonna get me the deal or the TV show. And we get to Montreal, and I'm the first comic on the first New Faces show. And it's like 6 p.m. And there's daylight coming in. It wasn't a good stand up setting. And I looked in the audience, and it was just, Old and white. Like, I'm not (laughs) lying. I saw one with blue hair. I'm not like, women over with blue hair. I saw one. Uh And I went, oh, shit. They're not going to get my jokes. So I'm I'm literally, I'm pacing backstage. I'm going, okay, I'm going to, my wife was my girlfriend at the time. And I said, I'm going to switch my act up. I'm going to do some shit for this audience. And she goes, "Uh, okay. So she went and told my agent at the time. And he came backstage and said, don't change your act. And I go, huh? He goes, I got agents out here. I got network execs. He was like, they're um, they just want to know your point of view. So don't worry about the audience reaction. They just want to know your point of view. And I was like, I don't know. And then I went out there. I listened to my agent at the time. I didn't get half a chuckle. <laughs> I didn't get a smile, <sighs> right? And uh-huh. I'm and I got off stage. And my hotel is about two miles away. And I went out the back door. And I just started walking. And my, uh, my, my girlfriend, well, my wife, and now she's my wife, um, she, my agent goes, hey, there's some network execs that want to talk to Gary. She goes, he already left. He's gone. And I walked back to my hotel. I remember sitting there and she walked, she caught up with me and she was walking like 20 feet behind me. And she was just, I was just like, I don't wanna talk. I wanna talk. And then I get back to the hotel and it was, a, I had a day off before I could go up again. And I didn't go to any parties. I didn't go to any of the shows because I thought they was going to say, like, that's the guy that bombed. Mm -hmm. That's the guy. I come back two days later. I found out everybody bombed. Everybody bombed on that show. I went, what? And I was thinking, well, they couldn't have bombed as bad as me. But I go back, and that's the first time I had seen the other seven comics on the New Faces show that was with me. There was eight of us. And they're all complaining about Two Nights before. They go, man, that audience sucked. They really sucked. And I was like, what? <laughs> but I still, I, I still don't feel that's an excuse. I feel like I could have got more mm. out of that set and probably had more heat on me coming out of there without that, but it ended up working out. I ended up getting a TV deal with Quincy Jones out of that um, weekend because what happened was I went up the second night, uh, New Faces, and I did a different five minutes. This time I listened to myself and it was better. And Guy Tori missed his flight, uh, or his flight got canceled. He couldn't make the urban show. So they asked me to do the urban show, mm. which was, that was my ball. That was, that was home for me. Right, right, so right, right. I, decided, <laughs> I did the urban show. I did two shows that night. So the first show I did clean, the second show I did dirty. And I did it on purpose, and I did two different sets. So I went to Montreal, and I did a total of 20 minutes, but I did four, five different acts, sets. And Quincy Jones, I did not know this, was at every one of my shows just by chance. And he said to me, he goes, he, I got a deal out of it because he goes, out of everyone I saw this weekend, he goes, you adjusted. He goes, and you kind of made a comeback. You figured out, oh, what was going on and what I need to do. And because then my, you know, my second night, I didn't even worry about a point of view at the new phases. I just did shit I saw in Montreal, and I, you know, I got the crowd like build a rapport with them a little bit. Mm. So that's how I got my deal with Quincy.
0: Dang! From the ashes rises Gary Owen,
1: <laughs> and the TV show didn't go anywhere. <laughs> but it was cool to hang out with Quincy Jones for a
0: summer. Oh, I bet it was. Oh my gosh. Um, this could this could be about like all all you had all these different sets in your head. Uh, a few people are asking about your writing process and maybe any like tips or exercises you recommend.
1: I don't really write jokes down on pieces of paper. Mm-hmm. Um, I might like, put a word in my phone in the notes section, but I don't. I don't think I've ever written a joke out, like written it out. Ever? Uh, it's just no. It's just I. I'm, I'm, I'll write a word. Right. But I can't write. Hey, what's up? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. I just I might write a word, a bullet point. But but I'm you know before this Corona thing hit, I was on stage so much. You know, it was everything was always fresh in my brain. It was never like I took months off. So yeah, but I don't. Like I said, some comics work that way. I've seen like Janine Garofalo brings her notes on stage, mm-hmm. right? and then it's funny because sometimes I'll forget something and I'll get reminded. You know, because I was selling, I was selling these T-shirts on the road, right? And one lady came to my show a couple weeks ago, and I haven't been on the road in a while, and she was wearing. One of the shirts, I go. Oh my god, I forgot about that joke! I completely forgot about that joke.
0: (laughs) (sighs) Do you record your sets and review them or anything, or just?
1: No, I I hate watching myself.
0: Right, hate it.
1: Stand up, I'll be like this. Uh, It's just like I hate going to stand-up shows now. I hate, I hate going to comedy clubs because I, I I see a mic and a stage, I want to get on it. I don't want to watch somebody else (sighs) do it. I feel you. I'm I'm not. I'm just nervous energy the whole time. I'm like, ah, I want to move around and I can't just sit there and enjoy it.
0: Yeah. Just goat goat ish. We're talking right now. So everyone asking about his process is he's just born with it. You know,
1: right.
0: (laughs) That's it. Just natural. (laughs) Yep. Um, Here's one about acting from Alex Wren. He says, I see so many actors are, uh, yeah, basically. Um, do you recommend comedians take acting classes and does one help the other? like comedy and helping acting and vice versa.
1: Oh yeah. I, I think you definitely have to take acting classes in the beginning for sure. Mm-hmm. And just to freshen up sometimes. Um, but like I was talking, I think one hand feeds the other. Like I think I was talking to Michael Ely about it and he goes, you know, comedians, he goes, he's kind of envious of us on set when we're, when we're all working on films, cause we're kind of fearless. Like we'll, we'll, we'll ad lib something and see if it works. And if it doesn't, we're like, ah, fuck. Where like a lot of actors just stick to the lines. Because man, you comedians, we'll we'll be going over lines and we'll be thinking, God damn it, <clears throat> I got to work with Gary tomorrow. He's gonna say something that is not on this script. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I never, I, you know, I don't try to shock people on set, but I I run it by them before we go. I'll be like, Hey, I might try something right here, just so you know it's coming. Oh, that's cool. I won't tell them what, but I'll be like, I might try something.
0: What, what, yeah. What's it like being in, getting to be in scenes with like someone like Kevin Hart? What's that like?
1: Me and Kevin friends for so long, that wasn't really nothing to me. Oh, you guys Maybe to other people, that would be like, Trippy? Uh-huh. Like, I'm doing a movie. We were shooting a movie right when the pandemic hit, and I got to finish it whenever they let us film again. But I was doing with David Koechner, who I'm a big fan of. Yeah. And we got a lot of scenes together, and he's a dick to me. And I'm, I was like, I was really enjoying and learning from him. I was like, Oh, now I get it. Like, you're like, how do you get that part? How do you get that part? And then when I see him in action, I'm like, Oh, this guy's good. He's on top of his game. He completely on top of his game.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this one, this one takes it back to the beginning with a uh, Kari Dotson asking started off starting off in comedy. How often were you performing in a week and did you use the exact set or would you switch a joke or two around with that set?
1: Oh, I think in the beginning you're doing the same five, 10 minutes mm-hmm. every night. It's like verbatim. Uh, I, I remember first time I saw like a headline and act, like a guy went up and did an hour, and I was like, what the fuck? Like in person? I was like in awe. I was like, holy shit, this guy's the greatest comic in the history of comedians. <laughs> he just did an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and it was good. And I, I can't tell you who the guy is. I don't know. But I think I think most comics in the beginning you've just got your five or ten minutes, man, and you just getting that perfection down.
0: And then how how do you do you have any tips for a comic looking to kind of maybe they have that five or ten minutes? What's what's the next step after you get that five to ten minutes?
1: Like I said, it's just stage time. Just stage. Time. And don't I tell you what, we, we get so caught up in audience reaction where we don't realize like comedians like when we're watching somebody especially me i don't give a shit if the audience is laughing or not when i'm watching somebody like opening for me or something i'm looking at is this guy original is he like bearing his soul on stage because it's almost like what chappelle said on his last netflix thing the 846 he goes i got some pussy jokes i was like those are easy you know like it will be like who likes getting their dick sucked? I go, everybody does. Mm-hmm. Gay <laughs> guys and straight guys, everybody's getting their dick sucked. Mm-hmm. That's an easy one. But when you're up there and you're doing something that I haven't seen, or you're talking about your family and, or your kids or whatever, and it's original, I don't care if the audience is laughing or not. I'm like, okay, I, I could work with that guy. Now, if you're doing hacking stuff, but the audience, and you're killing, I'm, I'm just looking at you like that, you didn't work. That wasn't your stuff. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Even with the music bits.
1: I used to do music bits.
0: Oh, really?
1: It's like, to me, it's like karaoke comedy. You're you're cheating, you know? What was your music bit? you're doing like one music bit, I get it. But when you go into like three, four, I'm like, (laughs) dude.
0: And then they get mad at the DJ if the DJ messes up.
1: Oh, I know, right? (laughs) You know?
0: DJ fucked up my. Yeah, come on, DJ, and then the DJ's back there, yeah. just like, dude, this is the fourth song.
1: Yeah, I, I've had music bits in the past, but I just went. One, I can't. You can't do them on TV. It doesn't translate at all
0: mm.
1: on TV, and that's where you're gonna hit the masses.
0: Mm-hmm. um
1: You know, but that's just the older I get, I'm like, it is what it is.
0: Are Are you uncomfortable in front of white audiences? Because like, I'll go like, yeah. I'll like I feel a little more confident from a black audience. When it's an all-white audience, I'm like, all white audience, I'm like, all right, let me let me get my bearings together real quick. I almost feel like I gotta shift. I do the same act, but I f- my men- my mentality's a little different going into it. Well, I always say like you gotta play to
1: your audience, but don't pander to them. Like Ronnie said earlier, mm-hmm. like it's almost like like if I'm doing Showtime at the Apollo, I'm not gonna talk about Tim McGraw. Right. If I'm doing the West Virginia State Fair. I'm not going to talk about NBA young boy that you got to know who your audience is. And you play to them. You don't pander, but you play to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to do like, you got to do some jokes, like some jokes I know would not play well with an all white audience. So I just, I'll just cut it out. They, they won't get it.
0: Gotcha. Um,
1: you know, but, but 90% of the shit funny's funny. And you're, you, my wife's still, mix, my wife's still black. My kids are still mixed. So that my job is to write a, write the joke so everyone can get it, even like my black church joke. Like I've done that all over the country, white audiences. I would I was doing colleges when I wrote that joke, and a lot of times you go to colleges, it's almost all white kids at some of these schools. The joke still worked, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It still worked.
0: So um, I think this is a good one. We can start to land this plane here. Uh, we appreciate your time too, Gary. Thanks for doing this, man. This is awesome. No problem. Um, this is an interesting one from Mitt Wolf, who, um, he said, yay, yay, sh- uh, shy town Um, this is interesting because as, I think as comedians, we, it's a single player game in a lot of ways. It's us on stage. It's us most of the time writing the jokes and things like that. But like when it comes to building a team, he's asking from the advice of anyone interested in going to talent management, who are the people on your payroll you couldn't live without? But maybe that could also translate for comedians who are looking to build a team to really scale their, um, their career? Like what, what is that process? Who do we need first? How do you start to formulate that team?
1: That, that has to happen organically. Mm, Um, you know, agents will find you managers will find you. I will say this, don't ever sign on a piece of paper with a manager or an agent. I've never signed. The only time I ever put my name was the first manager I had and it was a nightmare trying to fire him. And every other agent and manager I've had, we've never signed nothing. They rep me. And if I don't, if I want to leave, I leave. I, you know, I've been with some of the biggest agencies out there. None of them have you signed anything. They just rep you.
0: Mm. (laughs) So
1: somebody's like, it's one of those things like, you know, they get you in a contract, and then they want a piece of everything you got in the future. And that's not how it works, you know? So I would say just don't sign nothing. Just say, if you're my manager, manage me. And if I'm happy and we're, we're working together, I'm not going to need a new one. I've had the same manager for 15 years,
0: you know? That's what I heard with, like, Dave Becky and Kevin Hart. They always just had a handshake agreement. There was never any dotted line.
1: That's most good managers that's and, most... and that's, that's just not Kevin Day, that's most.
0: That's great to know. Yeah. Things that's you're going
1: great. good, you're not you're not you're not going somewhere else. And we I mean listen, me and my manager, we've had our moments, disagreements and, and everything, but it's never gotten to the point where I'm gonna leave because you know, I know she she cares about my well being and my career. You know. Agents, same thing. These smaller agencies want you to sign. I'm like, don't sign nothing. Just say you rep me. All right. I love it. Give me some work. Give me some chances to get work.
0: That's because that's been I've been on the independent like since day one. You know, I've been doing it 10 years. I just like self-release my own comedy special. I've really been doing everything myself. But it is at a point to like, well, when do you need a team to really start maybe getting momentum and focusing on your strengths and letting other people bring their strengths into it? You know what I mean? And find,
1: you know, find people you like working with, like if you look at like bring up Desi again and. King Batch and and some of these YouTubers you know they're just they just working with their friends I bet they yeah. all know how to everybody has a trait like he's talent he does good in front of the camera this guy's good at editing this guy's good at this and then who knows you bring them all along eventually
0: and how did you sell your special like i just i'm selling mine right now on my website you just pitched it to different networks and then eventually like showtime
1: well i um Let me tell you something. I did two that didn't get bought.
0: Oh,
1: okay. My first two did not get bought by anybody. I got one called uh, "Breaking Out the Park" and one called "Urban Legend" that I was selling as DVDs on the road, and nobody bought them. And I think, I think "Breaking Out the Park" is one of my best specials out there. Just I didn't have a big enough name. I didn't have the right representation. But networks and they didn't really know who I was at the time, even though I. Host to comic view they didn't really know but um now it's crazy i've ended up selling both of them 10 years and 15 years after i recorded them i ended up selling them to like different studios that gets it out on itunes and everywhere else so i ended it you know it took me years but i sold it but the first two mine didn't sell but huh. it didn't discourage me i was like all right one i got sick of doing the material and I wanted to do new materials. So I was like, let me put a special together. And we just, we shot it, hired the camera guys, paid everybody, I owned all the rights to it. And then I, that's all I did, because I wasn't getting, nobody was like calling me to shoot to, uh, we want to do your special and pay you for it. So I was like, well, I'll just shoot it myself and hopefully I'll sell it. And Luckily, um, the true story, I didn't do it by myself. Code Black did it, but that sold the Showtime. So that helped my relationship with Showtime. It did good on there. So the next one I just did myself and everybody passed but Showtime. Mm. Showtime's like, Oh, okay, we remember your last one. Even though I didn't do that one, that's how I've sold my last three to Showtime. They were like, I did it myself, but they were like, Oh, okay. He does good numbers and you know you know, just it works out.
0: Yeah, there's several people in the chat saying they're going to buy it right now. They're going to buy both right now, they said. So
1: Breaking out the park is probably – I think we shot that in
0: 2001.
1: Mm -hmm. I look like a little kid in that. (laughs) This is what I remember when we shot it because literally we shot it draft weekend and San Diego was supposed to pick Michael Vick. It's weird how you remember things. And they traded the pick and Atlanta picked Michael Vick and San Diego got LaDainian Tomlinson. And for some reason – I was in San Diego that weekend shooting that special. And I just remember that was the big news in the area. Like, damn, we supposed to get Michael Vick. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I remember about. Shooting my special. <laughs> That's how long ago it was.
0: Well, this, yeah, this was definitely a moment in this show in my career. I won't forget. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to do this, Gary. I, I, I realized we ran a few minutes over, but thanks for seriously doing this. Um, we always end this with like just closing advice for comics, something you've picked up through your career, advice you'll never forget, something you can kind of end us with here.
1: You're never as funny as your best set and you're never as bad as your worst set. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> don't get too depressed, but also don't get too cocky.
0: Awesome. And how much did that special cost Break out, breaking out of the park, self-produced? Do you remember?
1: Um, I, Here's the thing, I got... I had my TV deal with Quincy Jones and I took that money and shot my special. And I think that special ended up running me about $55,000. Okay. And I made, I, I remember I made like $23,000 back at the door that night. Cause I had bought the theater too. So I was like with 30, I'm th- I was like 30 some thousand dollars in the hole after it was all said and done. And then I went shopping it and nobody bought it. And that was a little di- di- disappointing but then I boxed it, started selling on the road for $20. So it might have taken me two years, but I made the money back. <laughs> <is
0: up>. Awesome.
1: <laughs> so bit, and then I end up getting, you know, I end up buying it. Somebody ended up buying it for more money than what I paid to make it. Granted, 15 years later, 16 years later, but it ended up working out because I, I had it and I owned it.
0: The come up, yeah. as they say, kids. People are saying, thanks, Gary and Joel. This was great. A lot of people very complimentary. Um, is there anything you want to promote that we can put into the description of this show for people to go check out?
1: Um, I got a Netflix movie coming out September 29th with Michael Jai White called Welcome to Sudden Death. Hmm. It's a remake of the John Claude Van Damme one.
0: Okay, the Sudden Death. One. I haven't seen it. Uh, I don't know.
1: <laughs> that's like my first lead. Like it's me and Mike.
0: That's awesome. It's
1: like a rush hour. So we're like, it went from an action movie to a buddy comedy because I just started wiling out on some of the scenes. Yes. <laughs> Just make it exciting. Funny. Even though I'm getting shot at and about to get murdered. But <laughs> yeah. so that's, that's probably that's probably next. And, you know, my special, you know, I got specials everywhere. I got oh. them on Hulu. I got them on Amazon Prime. I got them everywhere but Netflix.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not that you're bitter or anything. Not that you're bitter
1: or anything. No, it, it is what it is. There's no reason you get bitter as long as you get them out there.
0: Facts. You know? Facts and go listen to his podcast as well. Get some, that's a good one as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. We got who we got coming up this week. We've got um Romany Malco, the last Think Like a Man cast member.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah.
1: I got Russell Peters, I'm recording him this week, and Lunell. Those are the three I got because we record them in advance sometimes,
0: right? Of course, yeah, so, yeah.
1: Um, I'm recording three this week, so those are the three, those will be the next three weeks.
0: Yeah, I had Lunell on a week or two ago, and um. Kev hadn't gotten back to us yet. We're gonna get Kev real soon, though. Um, I feel Kevin like. Hart, Kev, you know Kevin Hart. Well, oh, sorry, we're on Kev name basis. I don't. Know. I still call him Kev. the Basket.
1: I Let me tell you, when I started my podcast, I was worried. I was like, "Damn, I don't, I don't." If people say no, I don't. It's gonna let me know how people feel about me. Right, right. <laughs> everybody said yes. I was like, "Thank God." That's awesome. But everybody, because everybody, you know, they're not getting none out of it when Tiffany does it. When Kev does it, um, you know, they're, they're not getting anything out of it. They're basically doing it for my sake, you
0: know? Yeah, that's why I'm so grateful you did this because, I mean, you didn't have to do this. You know, it's your afternoon just hanging out. Yeah, you definitely didn't have to do this, so I appreciate and I it. And <laughs> I
1: was late. I, I was late. I blamed the sauna, man. I was <laughs> like, damn, like, I know I was supposed to be doing something
0: today. No, I'm glad you were, you were getting, fre- you're getting your mind right for this. You know, you're getting the toxins cleared out so you could be hot on hot breath here.
1: But well, you know, you, you try to come up with a lie. And I've done realize in this business, just tell the truth. Mm. Dude, I, I, I messed you. I go, I brain farted. Fuck, I'm sorry.
0: I'm just <laughs> glad you got back because I was in the group, like, guys, he may have forgot. I don't know what happened. I was like crying. I mean, it's all good, though i knew i was like we're all gonna right, cross man. paths gary so we're not gonna get curved now yeah but yeah <laughs> thank you so much for your time gary enjoy your show tonight and um i'll let you know when this is out okay man, Appreciate My man. It. thanks gary thank you all right bye that's it for gary o and hop brethren and sister and thank you so much for tuning in and supporting our mission of cultivating the next generation of great comics if you want to get involved in that mission Go join our Facebook group. We are doing weekly Q&As with comics like Gary. We do Zoom shows. We do a daily writing club and so much more. So if you're a comic, let other comics know this show exists. And if you're a fan of comedy, let other comedy fans know this show exists. We have done over 300 interviews with comedians all about the craft and yet, we're still flying under the radar, which we love. We love that under the radar, like Gary was talking about, just building his own success, filming his own comedy specials, and then selling them for more than he spent on even recording them. That's what we're doing here at Hot Breath, and you are now a part of it. So subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast apps. And let's spread the word of the Hot breath I'm excited to have... No, we... Are excited to have you joining us. And we record every Monday at 8 a.m. So until then, thank you for your time. Thank you to my wife. I always thank her at the end of these, as you'll see as you listen to other interviews we've done. She made the theme song forever, embedding herself in the outros of these podcasts. So now, until next Monday, right here on Hot.